So again, as mentioned, we're in week two of our four-week Sermon Madness series. Last week was the Gospel and Social Justice. This week is Romans 8.28, and then we've got two left, and again, I won't uh, reveal them. You'll just have to come, but I will tell you, one is uh, going to be a real, real uh, barn burner uh, of a sermon, one that uh, I'm uh, a little anxious about, and the other one will be you know, one that we can all take a deep breath. So, if you want to see me sweat in the pulpit, come, uh, come next week. So, this is what's interesting, though, is, is that... This was not a suggestion that was an entire passage. It was simply this one verse, Romans 8, 28. Now, this can pose a challenge in some ways that are good, in some ways that are are difficult. We have to, if we're going to focus on one single verse, we have to look deep without forgetting the wide. Context still matters, and so often... I mean, goodness gracious, wars have been fought over proof texting, taking something out and misinterpreting it because we don't read the whole context. And that context still matters, but more than a lot of other times, we need to, if we're going to do one verse, look at the words and what they speak. Now, this is going to be one of those times, for those of you who are more note-takers, This is going to be one that's going to kind of walk through a little bit more uh, a word at a time. So I invite you, if you want to, to take notes. Uh, Otherwise, just enjoy. Um, And it's true that Romans 8.28 is one that gets taken out of context a lot. And it's used as a banner verse for lots of folks. I went on TikTok today because I was curious about, you know, let's see how many folks have Romans 8.28 as one of their videos. And it's a lot. I mean, and a lot of different folks. And oftentimes, it's this reminder that even if things are hard, God's working everything for your good, right? And that feels good. But as we walk through this passage, we'll see maybe that's not the entire truth of Romans 8.28. So, let's go back. We'll just leave it up here, and we'll walk through it a little bit at a time. So, the first thing in this translation is Paul says... We know. We know. Now, Paul is not talking about, Paul does this thing about talking a lot of different types of knowledge. This type of knowledge is actually one that isn't like that gut feeling, like if you know, you know. This is actually more of an experiential teaching kind of knowledge. It's a type of thing that you learn as you're sitting in a classroom. It's the type of knowledge that you get just through the school of life, a little bit at a time. So we know right from the beginning, that all of this stuff we know with our own experience. And I think it's important here, maybe to give us a sense of comfort, that Paul just kind of takes for granted that we all know this, right? As he's writing to the church in Rome, who's undergoing their own pains, he's saying, listen, y'all know this already. You know everything works together for good for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Yeah, you just already know it. So in one way, that should make us feel good right from the outset that this isn't some sort of special knowledge that's hidden away, and only if you go through a certain portion of life, then you understand this. No, from the moment that you are born, this is something you learn along the way. So the first thing is we know. We know that all things. Now, this word all is a Greek word, panta. 
and it runs the entire gamut of experiences. So we've learned these truths, this thing we just know from experience, from all things that have happened in our lives, whether they're good or we're bad. And let's not get caught up in just our own personal experiences, as this verse tends to get used, right? It sort of becomes like a personal signature verse for a lot of folks. Well, I know that God is working good for me. If you get around more than one person, you know that at times what is good for me might not be good for thee. And so it starts to make you wonder, is this all about personal good? So if we think panta, if we think widely, if we think all of life, all experience outside of time and space, everything, all that is, we know that all things. And keep in mind, too, that Paul even is trying to make this point himself at the beginning. This is why some of this context matters. Romans 8.28 also goes back to the beginning in 8.18 because Paul starts this whole passage by talking about the sufferings of present times. That he considers all of that meaningless for what's to come. And so he ends this passage by saying, now y'all know this to be true, right? That everything that happens, all things, the good, the bad, the indifferent, from the beginning are working together for good for those who love God. So we know these things. We know that it's everything. And now we got to talk about working together. And I think this is where sometimes our modern interpretations can slide away from what I think Paul is saying here and our relationship between God and the world. Because when we hear work together, we start to kind of put ourselves in a little bit of a passive stance, right? This is a passage often used when we have to take a passive position. It's almost like when we hear that all things are going to work together. Have you ever played one of those games where you have a screen laid out that's like puzzle pieces start to drop over time and your object is to be the quickest one to figure out what the picture is? Right? A little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. And it's almost like what we're doing is something similar when we think about this passage, that our job is to just sit back and let God drop the puzzle pieces where God may, and eventually, when it's all done, oh, look at that beautiful picture. And certainly the idea of work together might start to sound like a passive puzzle being put together. But the root of the word here, my voice is like something else today. The root of it. The root of the word here is synergio. That word might sound familiar. This is why, you know, it's like when we were taught in seminary, we were often taught not to talk about the Greek words. Like, it's like, no, this is like cool stuff. Behind these English words are really cool things. You've probably heard synergio before. Like, what does it sound like? Synergy. Yeah, what does synergy mean? It's this idea that things come together Different objects come together, different people come together, and what is produced is greater than the sum of them individual. And so this word here is not a passive putting together of puzzle pieces, but instead it's more of an active work, that there's an invitation at play here that we can join with God in the work of what's happening in this world, all these things that are working together. We can be part of that 
And it might feel strange to think that the sum of the whole is more because we're partnering with the infinite. How is that any better? You got to figure when you're at the infinite and you're partnering with God, like that's as good as it's going to get. But this maybe should call back a little bit of last week. If you remember, kind of the big point about last week was that we need to start to think about ourselves just as is about getting out of our seats in the audience and being part of community, being with people. And there's something different about that action. I mean, for goodness sakes, when when you're in an audience, how many times do you find yourselves interested in paying extra for an interactive experience, right? I mean, I don't want to just look at a movie on a simple screen. No, I want the IMAX experience. I want to feel the sound like I'm there. Even better, I want a 3D IMAX experience. I want to be there. We pay extra for that because somehow the difference between being passive and acknowledging our passivity, like sitting in a movie theater, and the more we're part of it, it feels like there's something more. So perhaps this synergy, perhaps this something more, is less about what God will add, what will go above the infinite, but perhaps the difference is when we work together with God, when we are in active partnership with God, well, maybe we get more out of it than just passively watching the world and its good happen on a passing screen. Paul is telling us that there is something collaborative in this world going on, and it involves more than God pulling some simple strings in the background. So we know that all things work together for good, for good. This word here, this good word, it is a similar word as the one that God speaks as creation is being formed. Every time God creates something and says it is good, we should hear that same goodness as things are working together for good. It is creating the best of what can be. It is shalom, it is justice, it is everything as we hope for. That God is taking everything and working it together for this. It is, by definition, desirable or positive qualities, especially those suitable for a thing specified. When you look at yourself in the mirror and you imagine your best self, when you see something happening in this world and you say, this is how I imagine heaven will be, that is the for good that we're talking about. So the end of the verse is, who are called according to his purpose. Now the first part seems pretty easy, right? Get loving God. This is a type of agape, that deep, loyal love that connects us one to another. But the other one feels a little bit more complicated, right? I I can get all things work together for those who love God, cool, but who are called according to God's purposes. The whole call thing sounds a little confused. Like, how does it mean to be called? Well, this word here, Paul uses in other times, not very often, two or three other times. 
to describe his own experience with being called. It's something irresistible, he thinks. It sits somewhere in between being summoned and being invited. It's persuasive. It's overwhelming. It feels like something deep. When we are called in this moment, Paul's writing, it is something that overwhelms us, and we must be a part of it. So what might that be? Well, this morning, I walked over to the Publix, because I can do that now, and I looked around. You know, it is just gleaming, right? In the world of forms, right, in the platonic world of forms, this is how you imagine a grocery store to be. You go up the stairs, and it's like the world of food opens up to you. You go up those elevators. Oh, and the floors are just this gorgeous marble, and they're gleaming. It's, it's like, I mean, you just, it's a delight to walk through. And you know what's so funny is I know because there are people who do this lighting stuff. You know, they've set the lighting just right, that everything seems a little bit more technicolor than it's supposed to, right? They hit you right away as you walk. Now, the one thing I don't like is it feels backwards. You turn to the left to start with the... Well, who does that, right? But maybe it's because you are jarred into a sense of having to turn, and the first thing you see are the bright colors of citrus fruit beckoning you to continue to move on. And it's oranges and yellows and greens and reds and everything. And you know, I felt like the best thing for me to do is to grab a tomato to talk to you today. <laughs> now, here's the thing. This tomato cost me 31 cents, which seems a little expensive by tomato standards. Thank you. This is an inflated tomato. But there is some truth to that. How many of you have ever grown tomatoes in your backyard? Okay, quite a few. You know, if you grew up in the Midwest like me, where like growing periods are normal and not this weird you start and fall kind of thing, I'm still not used to yet down here. There is nothing better than an August tomato off your own vine. It is just the right texture, just the right taste. It is how a tomato should be. Now, it might not be the most attractive, but it's what it was made to be, especially if you took time to curate and care. Perhaps you invited it to be according to its purpose. This, while a tomato, is not the same thing. This is a passable substitute, but this isn't overwhelming to me. This does not remind me of sitting with my grandmother as she gently carved up one of the yellow Indiana tomatoes that she'd bring from her house and slice it just so and add a little salt and add a little pepper and a little bit of mayonnaise. And there, with that tomato, I felt like everything was right with the world. This is not that. And that's fine. But what could be 
what's called according to God's purposes. It might be the world as it should be. It might be the curated August tomato just right. And it doesn't mean that this is bad. There's no good or evil here. It's just simply this is a lackluster substitute for what is the best. So let me offer for each of you a new translation for Romans 8.28. I have it up here. Not yet. And our experiences already demonstrate to us that everything that has ever been, is, and will be works with good towards the very good. And those who love good and can't help but be drawn to good join in the work. Do you hear the differences? This reminds us again a little bit more of last week. That this is not a passive world to live in. And what's really interesting is that when you look at the four passages that we all voted on, do you know one theme that runs absolutely through every single one of them? What's going on maybe in our hearts as a congregation that maybe we can't say out loud is that every single one of them are inviting us into action and not being passive. Every single one of them. And boy, isn't that a good vibe to have at a church? Like, oh, we're committed to action. We're moving forward. We actually want to taste August tomatoes amongst us, right? That's good. That's real good. We are invited into this work. And it reminds us, too, that Jesus was an active member of this community as well. We didn't have a gospel passage, but boy, the good news is written all over this, isn't it? That the world that we hope for, that we dream for, that we get glimpses of only periodically, this is what God is using all of history for. And you know what? You get to be a part of it. And your action in it creates more of a world and a deeper, richer world than what you would have if you just kind of let it walk on by. How cool is that? That is the good news of the gospel here in Romans, this is not a passage of like, God, please get me a pony because I've been really good. No. It's inviting us to be in partnership with God who is good, is the very definition of good, and to be drawn in and can't help but to be drawn into the work. We know that all these things are going to work together for God's glory. It means that we get to harvest the best fruits. It gets to mean we get to see the best in our relationships. There truly is depth here, friends. Depth that maybe we too often pass by. We're in the midst of thinking it's just about us. But thanks be to good. A God who is good. A God who invites us to be more 
than what we are. To be drawn into something beautiful in this world. All we simply have to do is just go. Thanks be to God.